Hello all, and welcome to this episode of No Home for Heroes. No Home for Heroes explores history's military mysteries regarding Americans who are missing in action from our past wars. These long-forgotten MIAs are remembered here. Today's episode is titled, The Lost Phantoms of Tarawa, and I'm your host, Rick Stone. No Home for Heroes is a trademark production sponsored by the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation. For more information on the Foundation, visit our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. If you are hearing this episode of No Home for Heroes for the first time, we invite you to listen to all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. And now, on with our show. You may have recognized the intro theme music for today's episode titled The Lost Phantoms of Tarawa. Did you know that the pilot episode for the original Twilight Zone TV show in 1958 was a fictional World War II history's mysteries about a time traveler who unsuccessfully attempts to warn people about the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor? A little TV trivia to start the episode. Well, Today's episode on No Home for Heroes is not science fiction. It's absolutely true, but it's equally spooky. That's for sure. Today's episode may be a little longer than usual because we're going to explore the cases of 25 different casualties from the Battle of Tarawa who were listed as wounded in action and transported off the invasion beaches for treatment on a nearby ship, only to vanish into the mists of history and be listed as missing in action for over 75 years. And there's even more to this mystery. Some of these MIA phantoms were actually listed on military hospital records long after the battle, but they never made it home. And they are still, today, listed as missing in action. Incredible, but true. Four days after I joined the Joint POW-MIA Accounting Command, or JPAC, a part of the Department of Defense, in July 2011, the Chief of the World War II Research and Investigations Branch dropped 521 thick folders on my desk. The folders were MIAs, or Missing in Actions, from the Battle of Tarawa. When the Chief gave me the mission, she said, This is my most hated file. <laughs> Great. Well. She warned me, but even she had no idea that 25 cases from the over 500 would stand out like a sore thumb during my research. 25 Tarawa MIAs were classified as, quote, lost during treatment or transfer, end quote. These have notations in the records that they were wounded and transferred to a vessel or to an unknown location for treatment. And or, they were later listed as being in a hospital at a date after the battle. The actual fate of these individuals was, well, a mystery. After sorting through all the files, I named these 25 casualties who were, frankly, lost after they were found. I named them the Lost Phantoms of Tarawa. And as you will hear, they appear to have vanished from recorded history under very mysterious circumstances. Let's take a little time to give you a brief synopsis on the specifics of what my initial investigation into each of their mysterious cases disclosed. 
Number one on our list was Corporal Alan Burge from Wisconsin. His casualty card lists Burge as wounded in action on November 20, 1943, and transferred to an unknown vessel for treatment. He is later noted as, quote, sick in U.S. Hospital No. 10 on a December 1943 muster roll, a month after the battle. And by the way, just to remind you, Hospital No. 10 was located in Honolulu, Hawaii. Second on the list was Private Richard Kanipa from California. His official military personnel file states that he was wounded in action and also transferred to an unknown vessel for treatment. And his casualty card notes that Kanipa was sick in U.S. Hospital No. 10 on the December 1943 muster roll, again a month after the battle. Sergeant Grover Cunningham from Georgia was listed as wounded in action on November 20, 1943, and transferred to a ship offshore named the USS Haywood for further treatment. Private First Class James Davis from Mississippi was listed as wounded in action on November 22, 1943, on the second or third day of the battle. He was transferred also to an offshore ship named the USS Doyen for treatment. Private First Class Walter Foran from Virginia was listed as wounded in action on the first day of the battle, November 20th, and transferred to an unknown vessel for treatment. Private First Class Charles Fowler from California. Well, this one really gets a little weird. The January 1944 muster roll of the Transit Battalion lists Private First Class Fowler as sick in a U.S. Naval Hospital. This would be two months after the battle. Private George Hannigan, he was a tanker from California. Hannigan was wounded in action on November 26th, one of the last casualties of the Battle of Tarawa. On his records, it states that he was transferred to an unknown location for treatment. His U.S. Marine Corps casualty card states he was in U.S. Navy Hospital No. 10 on the December 1943 muster roll. The muster roll states, Received a gunshot wound to his left leg and right arm on 26 November. He was evacuated to a destroyer, evacuation destination unknown. He died on 26 November, 1943. Well, I found Private Hannigan's heavily tarnished dog tag inside his official military personnel file in July 2015. I turned it over to an NPRC supervisor in St. Louis. That's the National Personnel Records Center, NPRC, when I found his tag. It's another history's mystery on how his dog tag wound up in his paper personnel file in St. Louis, Missouri. Next on our list is Private Paul Huffman from Ohio. Huffman was originally reported wounded in action and evacuated to an unknown location. Private First Class William Keller from Wisconsin. Keller was originally reported as wounded in action on 21st November 1943 and transferred to an unknown vessel for treatment. His casualty card states that he was sick in a U.S. Navy hospital, again, U.S. Navy Hospital No. 10 in Honolulu, on the December 1943 muster roll. And the list goes on. 
Next is 2nd Lieutenant George Kern from Texas. Kern had been painfully wounded in the leg and was on his way back to the reef to find a ride out to a, a transport ship during the first day of the battle. On his way to the beach, said Sergeant Elvin Hart, I encountered our battalion communications officer, Lieutenant Kern, a newly appointed second lieutenant. He had been hit in the leg and he was bleeding profusely in the water. He was headed back to a landing craft when I last saw him for evacuation. Lieutenant Kern was never seen again. Sergeant Sam McAllister, another Texas boy, he was observed alive on the beach by another wounded Marine. He was originally reported as wounded in action on 20 November 1943 and last seen at the beach awaiting treatment and or transfer to an offshore ship when he simply vanished. Private Eugene Miller from Utah was observed wounded in the water and others were attempting to load him into a rescue boat. His casualty card states that he was sick in U.S. Navy Hospital No. 10 on December muster roll 1943, the December 1943 muster roll. Sergeant Robert Moon from Washington State. Moon was reported wounded in action on November 20, 1943 and transferred to an unknown vessel for treatment. Once again, his casualty card states he was sick in the U.S. Navy Hospital on the December 1943 muster roll. Sergeant Lynn Osborne from Utah. His casualty card states that he was wounded in action on the second day of the battle, November 21, 1943, and evacuated to the USS Wharton, an offshore ship, for psychoneurosis. That's what we would now call PTSD, post Traumatic Stress Syndrome. He was recorded as admitted to U.S. Navy Hospital in Hawaii on August 15, 1944. August? Nine months after the battle? Incredible. But he vanished. Private Elmer Painter from Michigan. Painter was carried on the muster rolls through October 1944, an even more incredible 11 months after the battle. His notations were either sick U.S. Navy hospital or missing in action. His casualty card states that Painter was wounded in action on 20 November 1943 and evacuated to an unknown ship for treatment, and he is listed as sick in the U.S. Navy Hospital No. 10 in Honolulu on the December 1943 muster roll. His case gets even a little more strange because there's a letter from Painter's sister that states she had been told by another Marine that he had helped Painter to the beach and gave him first aid, and a doctor was with him when the other Marine left. Another Marine wrote a letter in Painter's file that said, Painter was seen, last seen convalescing in a hospital in New Caledonia, hundreds of miles away from Tarawa. Next on our list was Private First Class James Thompson from Indiana. A friend of his, Private First Class Tommy Johnson, said, quote, The last time I saw PFC Thompson was on D-Day, approximately 200 yards offshore when he was hit. The bullet grazed his chin and hit his right shoulder. After he was hit, he turned about toward an amphibian tractor which was picking up wounded casualties. I do not know whether he made it to the tractor or fell into the water said PFC Johnson. His casualty card states he was transferred to an unknown vessel for treatment 
and disposition on 20 November 1943. And his casualty card again states that he was sick in a U.S. Navy hospital number 10 in the December 1943 muster roll. PFC Frank Urbanek from Illinois. On the January 1944 muster roll of the headquarters company of the casual battalion, Urbanek is listed in, you guessed it, sick in U.S. Navy hospital number 10. Next is a name that I always have difficulty pronouncing but his private first class Eugene Vacareza, or Vacareza, from California. Per his friend Corporal Ray H. White, quote, I was the last man to leave the boat on the morning of 21 November 1943, and all men were out of the boat before we were fired upon. The only man that I saw wounded was Private Vacareza. He was hit with machine gun fire in the chest. I saw two corpsmen give him first aid, and pull him into a ramp lighter to be taken back aboard ship. Vacarisa's casualty card states he was sick in the United States Naval Hospital in both the December 1943 and the January 1944 muster rolls. On the April 1944 and the October 1944 muster rolls, both list him as missing. And there are multiple letters in his official military personnel file in St. Louis from another buddy named Corporal George Fiore writing to Vacarisa's family telling them that he survived the battle. Next on our list is Private First Class Royal Waltz from California. Waltz was wounded in action and transferred to an unknown vessel for treatment. His casualty card states he was sick in U.S. Navy Hospital No. 10 in the December 1943 muster roll. According to members of his platoon, Waltz received immediate first aid when he was removed, when he was wounded and remained in the shelter of a seawall when the rest of his group moved forward. He wasn't seen or heard from again by any members of his outfit. Are you a member of any of these fandoms? Do you recognize their names as perhaps the odd uncle in the family who never talked about the war? We wonder. But wait, these aren't the strangest cases from all the fandoms. Private First Class Claude Dobson from Kansas. His casualty card lists Dobson as sick and hung the hospital from the 22nd through the 30th of November on the November 1943 muster roll. In January 1944, the muster roll of the headquarters company Casualty Battalion Transient Center shows him to be sick in the U.S. Naval Hospital. The hospital number was originally typed on the roll and then, for unknown reasons, was erased. In his official military personnel file, there's a letter to the family from Platoon Sergeant Don L. Woodward Jr., who writes that a friend told him that Dobson was in that infamous U.S. Naval Hospital Number 10 in Honolulu, Hawaii, in July. 1946, with a head wound, and that he had had several operations. Another letter in his official military personnel mail file from Ralph Rambos confirms that I know for a fact that Claude was wounded and evacuated to U.S. Naval Hospital Number 10 in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, and I later heard that he had been sent to the U.S. Naval Hospital in San Francisco. Wes is a real head-scratcher. He was last seen in July 1946. 
almost, almost three years after he was wounded, and almost a year after the war ended? Can all these witnesses to seeing these phantoms long after the battle be wrong? But perhaps the strangest of all the phantom cases are those of Sergeant Alfred E. Coleman from Alabama and Private First Class Robert C. Smith from Tennessee. Both are from George Company, 2nd Battalion, 2nd Marines. The specific circumstances of their death are officially unknown, and there is no indication in their records of possible burial locations. All of their records list them as wounded and evacuated from the island or missing, and they do not support the premise that they were buried on Tarawa. In January 1944, the Transient Battalion reported to be Sergeant Coleman's assignment, and it reported that Sergeant Coleman was suffering from, quote, war neurosis, end quote. The January 1944 muster roll for his unit states that Sergeant Coleman was sick in the U.S. Naval Hospital, end quote. But it does not list which hospital Sergeant Coleman was in, although the U.S. Naval Hospital in Honolulu, Hawaii, was the only hospital where Tarawa casualties were known to have been sent. Per a signed statement in Coleman's official military personnel file by an individual named Private First Class William S. Hussey, quote, Sergeant Alfred E. Coleman and Private First Class Robert C. Smith were admitted as patients to the U.S. Navy Hospital at Pearl Harbor following their evacuation from the zone of operations. They were confined to Ward C at this hospital. To the best of my knowledge, the above-mentioned Marines were transferred from this hospital during the first week of January 1944 to the United States mainland for further treatment. End quote. Sergeant Coleman, a little background on Sergeant Coleman. He was a veteran member of his company with prior combat service on Guadalcanal and an assignment as a squad leader. It certainly seems likely that he was well known within his company and some member of his unit should have been able to recognize his body after the battle if he had died after reaching shore. This was apparently not the case. For these same reasons, it seems apparent that his fellow Marines would have recognized him and, I forgot to mention, his distinctive forearm tattoos if he were hospitalized at the U.S. Naval Hospital in Aia or Pearl Harbor or Honolulu, Hawaii, for a gunshot wound or the, quote, war neurosis, now known as PTSD. The war neurosis was cited on his official casualty card. And oh, by the way, just to help bolster Private First Class Hussey's statement, Ward C that he mentioned was designated as the mental ward, which is where any war neurosis cases would have been assigned. During my research, I found a photo of the wards in this very hospital. They were open, open wards, with dozens of beds lined side by side, and patients could easily associate with each other and observe each other as their injuries allowed. It is simply impossible to disregard the signed statement of Private First Class Hussey who testified that his company mate, known to him as Sergeant Alfred E. Coleman and Private First Class Robert C. Smith, were with him at the United States Naval Hospital in Aia, Pearl Harbor, Honolulu, Hawaii, for a period of at least six weeks after the battle. 
Sergeant Coleman's file references statements of nine other Marines, but the actual documents are not in the file to either confirm or deny Private First Class Hussey's assertion. By the way, being a little bit suspicious, I did a small background check on Private First Class Hussey to see if he was just a nutcase, like the people who talk to Bigfoot or see Elvis at the mall on Saturdays. Well, it is known from Private First Class Hussey's service record that he was considered a solid Marine. Prior to joining Marines in 1942, Private First Class Hussey was a member of the United States Army and served with distinction as a Marine throughout the Pacific Campaign. He survived the war and later rose to the rank of Staff Sergeant, served with the Marines during the Korean War. There's absolutely nothing in his record to indicate a lack of truthfulness or any reason why he would falsely claim that PFC Smith and Sergeant Coleman were patients with him in the Naval Hospital in Honolulu. The bottom line is like all the other Phantoms of Tarawa, Sergeant Coleman and Private First Class Smith completely disappeared from recorded history. Those of you who have been counting have realized that we've only discussed 22 cases, and I promised that there would be 25 lost Phantoms of Tarawa. Well, you win a cookie. Here are the cases of the other three Phantoms, and guess what? These three Phantoms were finally found. William David Ball Jr., a sergeant from California. His casualty card states Ball was wounded in action and transferred to the USS J. Franklin Bell, an offshore transport ship, for further treatment. There are no notations whatsoever in the USS Bell's deck log for a burial at sea. A later notation states he was evacuated and transported to the 5th Amphibious Corps on December 10, 1943. His service record book states that he's missing in action since 20 November 1943 and death is presumed to have occurred in the line of duty. In my investigations at JPAC in 2011, using the Random Incident Statistical Correlation System I invented, I listed Sergeant Ball as a biometric most likely match to unknown X-89 buried in the punch bowl. And, <laughs> you guessed it, the Department of Defense finally announced his recovery and his identification on September 13, 2017, as unknown X-89. Second on our list of the last three is James Dimitri Otto, a corporal from California. His casualty card states that he was wounded in action in, on November 20th and that he was sick in the U.S. Navy Hospital on the December 1943 muster roll. We've heard that before. There's a letter in his official military personnel file from his mother that she wrote to the United States Marine Corps stating that she had received word from, quote, friends of his, end quote, that he was alive and possibly in a rehab center due to losing both of his legs, one below the knee and, the, and one above. My investigation at JPAC did not note that Corporal Otto was a most likely match to any unknown buried in the punch bowl. And on 16 September 2015, the Department of Defense announced that Corporal Otto had been recovered and identified from the previous Lost Cemetery Number 27 that had been uncovered during a construction project on Tarawa. 
Last on our list of the final 25 was Private First Class James Samuel Smith from Mississippi. Per his casualty card, PFC Smith was wounded in action on November 20th with a shell wound, a fragment, and a small cut on his left upper lip. Private First Class Smith was transferred to the USS Haywood on November 20th for further treatment and disposition, according to his records. Foundation investigators were on Tarawa when Smith was recovered from an area near Cemetery 25 with two other missing Marines in November 2012. Four years later, he was officially identified by the Department of Defense on September 7, 2016. The bottom line is this. The preponderance of the evidence indicates that all of these phantoms successfully reached shore on Tarawa. And if that was the case, there are only five logical possibilities for the final disposition of the phantoms. The first theory is that when the phantom was wounded and his evacuation boat was struck by enemy fire, his body was obliterated by combat trauma. There are many anecdotal descriptions in the historical record by Tarawa's survivors of observing just such scenes. Theory two was that when the Phantom was successfully evacuated to an offshore ship for medical treatment, he died while on board that ship and was given a burial at sea which was simply not recorded in the ship's log or any other military records. Theory three holds that the Phantom was successfully evacuated to an offshore ship for medical treatment, arrived at the United States Naval Hospital in Honolulu, Hawaii, where all the Tarawa wounded were transferred, and where the Phantom subsequently died and was buried in an unrecorded and unknown location in Hawaii. <laughs> and then Foundation Research found another clue that might be the best explanation yet for many of the Phantom. Foundation researchers investigating the case of Private Jack Matthew in 2017. He's not a Phantom, but to this day, he's still an MIA. During this investigation, they may have found an explanation for the loss of many of the other Phantom. A letter from one of Jack's buddies stated that he was wounded when the first wave of Marines swept into the island. Private Matthew was then taken to the sick bay aboard a ship for treatment. Private Matthew insisted that his wounds were not serious, the letter said, and that on his second trip to the island, he was killed. So theory four became, the Phantom was successfully evacuated to an offshore ship, received medical treatment which was not recorded in the ship's log, and after treatment he was ordered or elected on his own to return to the action on shore and was killed after landing on Tarawa for a second time where he may have been buried as an unknown. But theory five, the last theory, is really my personal favorite. This theory holds that the Phantom was successfully evacuated to an offshore ship for medical treatment, that he arrived at the U.S. Naval Hospital in Honolulu, Hawaii, and that while he was there, he subsequently recovered sufficiently to simply get up, walk away, and disappear from history forever. Personally, I like this theory the best. Why? Because I can actually picture a guy just saying, hey, the heck with this. I've done my part. I've been shot and I recovered. And now I'm walking away. In my Twilight Zone scenario, the Phantom changed his name, married a beautiful Hawaiian girl, 
and moved on an island, to an outlying island where he lives to this day with two dozen grandkids who helped him celebrate his 98th birthday this year. Well, that's my dream. So what are your theories? What are your theories on the remaining 22 lost phantoms of Tarawa? Other than space aliens snatching them out of the battle zone and transporting them with Flight 19 to the Bermuda Triangle, that is, we can skip that theory. But if you have another idea, please help us out. Drop us a line at our website, www.chiefrickstone.com, and let us know your thoughts on the lost phantoms of Tarawa. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Home for Heroes. We hope you've enjoyed today's production, and we invite you to check out our other episodes. You can now subscribe to listen free on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you like to listen to podcasts. Don't forget to tune in every Saturday when we'll post a new episode of History's Military Mysteries Missing in Action. Episodes of No Home for Heroes are produced from the actual investigative case files of the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation, dedicated to providing information to the families of missing American servicemen and missing American servicewomen. As always, we greatly appreciate your comments. And as I mentioned earlier, a special link is available for you to contact us on our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. Our next episode is titled, A U-Boat Attack After the War Was Over. Learn how a German U-Boat either didn't get the message that the war was over, or decided to ignore the order and attack an American merchant ship off the coast of Rhode Island in May 1945. You sure don't want to miss this one. An incensed American Navy pulled out all the stops to exact revenge on the German submarine that left America with some of its last MIAs of World War II. Until next time, be careful, be safe, and wishing you fair winds and following seas. I'm your host, Rick Stone, reminding you that war is the nation that has no heroes, but shameful is the nation that having heroes forgets them. <laughs>